Hey everybody, it's just Dan here, just letting you know we're not going to be releasing a new episode this week. Instead, we're going to release a couple of interviews we did at ZeroCon last year with Peter Baines and Roz Harvey, which we think are, are kind of relevant to the environment that we're in at the moment. Uh, we spoke to Peter about you know, making corporate social responsibility a, a profit center in your business and, and having a social cause, not just as a, as a side thing, but actually as a core function of your business. And we spoke to, to Roz about using big data to help some of the big problems. And during that conversation, we spoke about using big data to make um, farming more efficient. But yeah, I think also relevant in uh, COVID-19 time. So we'll be back next week with a new episode and enjoy our chats. Hi, this is Tim. This is just a heads up that all the advice you're hearing in this podcast is general in nature. If you want something more specific, then feel free to contact us. Drunk accountant, drunk account, drunk, drunk, to drunk accountant, drunk accountant, drunk account, drunk, drunk, to drunk account, drunk account, drunk, 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 to drunk account, drunk account, drunk accountant. Hello and welcome to the Two Drunk Accountants. I'm Tim. And I'm Dan. And we're here with Peter Baines, uh, who is a global speaker, a charity founder, Board director and business consultant. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, a lot welcome. of hats. Thanks, boys. Good <laughs> yeah, to be here. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming. Uh, Pleasure. We're really looking forward to speaking to you. Um, we we were looking at what you've been involved with um, over your journey. Yeah. And uh, there's some pretty pretty hectic things in there. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so maybe let's start with that. Um, you used to be a police officer. Yeah, I joined the cops um, pretty much straight out of school. Went to yep. uni for yep. a little while and realised I wasn't uh, that wasn't the right thing for me. Okay. And uh, yep. bailed out pretty quick and uh, joined the joined the police and worked in uniform. Yep. W- worked in um, uh, the western suburbs of Sydney, Cabramatta, and okay. which was really busy back in the yeah. early '80s when I joined or okay. mid '80s. And then uh, quickly found myself in the forensic area, right. and uh, um, and that was where my career ended up. I spent uh, 22 years with the police and most of it in the forensic area and spent 10 years in regional New South Wales uh, in Tamworth investigating scenes of uh, major crime and suicides Mm. and homicides and death and so forth and and then moved back to uh, Sydney in 2002, Uh, got an inspector's job still within the forensic area and and that was when I guess things uh, changed, Uh, it took a a different turn. I ended up working in Bali after the bombings. Yeah. And yeah. The work that uh, all the Australians did there uh, kind of set us up that if something else happened in Southeast Asia, uh, we would be looked upon to support. Yeah, okay. and, that, and that's then exactly what happened after the tsunami of 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Headed back to Thailand and yeah. Or headed to Thailand and uh, spent most of 2005 either in Thailand or uh, deploying teams to go to Thailand. Yeah. And that finished up and then I spent the last two years uh, working on an international counter-terrorism project. I worked, uh, uh, with Leon in, uh, worked in Leon with uh, Interpol yeah, well. and basically writing a, uh, uh, a classified paper on uh, counter-terrorism. Wow. Then they asked me to, uh, I then got, uh, the secondment was extended and I worked with the UN Office of Drug and Crime Mm -hmm. uh, throughout Southeast Asia in a capacity building role around leadership and counter-terrorism. Wow. Then at the end of that, I'd been (laughs) gone for two years and uh, (laughs) New South Wales Police had been paying my uh, salary, but I hadn't been there. (laughs) And uh, they got a bit funny about that and they said, you got to come back. And... um, I went back and they said, where do you want to go? And yeah. by that stage, I'd, uh, I'd well and truly started the charity. Yeah. And 
I asked for 12 months leave without pay because I wanted to focus on the charity. Yeah. And they Which said, is, it's uh, hands, hands, hands over, across the water. Hands across the water. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they said they wouldn't support uh, my application for leave, uh, so I resigned. And uh, ever since then, I've uh, been trying to make a living. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, when I listen to that, it sounds like there's sort of 20 years there and then all of a sudden just goes bang and you're just almost thrown in the deep end with all of these crazy, I wouldn't say amazing, but just mind-boggling experiences um, where you've had to, you've learned so much about leadership, teams. Um, but first of all, um, how, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how do you keep level-headed and um, I suppose not let all of the um, crazy things you're experiencing get to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a cool question, and um, you know, part of it's uh, focusing on what you're there to do, yeah. and uh, and and it also like I t worked in Bali, uh, uh, Thailand, Japan, Saudi Arabia, all after crisis or disaster, and yeah. And it's not like you're stepping in and never seeing death before. Yeah. It's just that it's on a level that we've never seen before. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's focusing on the job that you've got to do. And yeah, uh, um, yeah. so it's, yeah. you know, it, I, I think back and people who haven't been exposed like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But at the time, it's just your job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel that crazy. Yeah. It, we always felt every time I've been invited to, to work internationally, uh, I felt honoured to be asked to do that. Mm. Yeah, sure. But it ha you know, you've never sat back and gone, "Geez, is this something that you're capable of doing?" Yeah, yeah. you're just so keen to get involved. Yeah, yeah that's man. amazing. I mean, it says something about your mindset as well. Um, that that's the way you approach it. Um, I wouldn't say everyone would approach things that way. So that's a learning in itself for listeners in terms of thinking about the outcome and the job that just needs to be yeah. done. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for keeping focus in that area? Or yeah, look, is it I something think, you're just personally good yeah, at? Yeah, I think it's, um, uh, as a business and yeah. as an individual, it's really important to, to understand what your clarity of purpose is. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, and in business, uh, you, you know, when it's, be, when it's most important is when our resolve is tested. Yeah. And that might be through, you know, tough times and whether you're running a small small business or not it's not all and anyone that's involved in small business you know it's tough oh yeah. absolutely you know yeah. and uh, and so therefore I think it's even more important to mm. understand why you do what you do and and True. it's so it's so important when your resolve is tested either as an individual or as a business and you know you look at the um, uh, some of the outcomes out of the Royal Commission into the banking industry yeah and 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 the the recommendations or the, the observations out of the RC are not that their statement of values were wrong or their mm. vision statement was wrong. It was yeah. a lack of congruence between yeah. those that were acting inappropriately yep. and what the bank was about. So mm. I think as a small business, as an individual, if we're really clear what those non-negotiables are, what the most important thing is, mm. whether we're faced with unprecedented growth whether yep. there's a change in the economy, yep. whether there's you know a recession, we're just around the corner. Yeah, um, we've got to understand so we can make those difficult decisions. So you can respond to it and stay true to your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Have you always had a clear um, idea of your purpose? Uh, I think it's. Um, is it something that evolves? Yeah, look, I, I think it does change. And uh, for me, when I look back on the work I did within the police, I would say that 
why I did what I did was to provide answers. Yeah. And I look at that and I say, okay. uh, my role investigating a homicide or a suicide, I was providing answers either to the family, uh, to the, the judicial process, to a, a coroner's inquest or so forth. But fundamentally, I was there to provide answers. Yeah. And I look at even what we do now with uh, uh, the work I do with the international NGO that I established, mm. it, we're still providing answers, yeah, but the yeah. questions are different. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, true. What's fascinated me about this era kind in particular is a lot of the people that we've spoken to have, like uh, we spoke to Ros Harvey a little bit earlier, and, and she uses big data um, instead of using it for, uh, in the way Facebook or some of these people use it, uh, they're using it to solve real world problems and they're taking that knowledge that they've learned in these areas and applying it to a, a cause that that particularly um, can help a lot of people. A socially responsible cause. A socially responsible cause. Um, and so it's kind of similar with your story. You've taken all this experience that mm. you had um, providing answers in, in a particular area and now you're applying that to your uh, to your charity. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to get a bit more information about that. Like, a, yeah. it, How have you taken your lessons that you've learnt through all of these um, amazing and, uh, well not amazing, but unique situations yeah. and then applied it to to provide a bigger framework for this yeah, support? Yeah, I think there's been, um, there was probably an evolution in the learnings for me and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, starting something like uh, uh, the charity that I mm. did, you know, I met a group of kids who had all lost their parents, lost their home, mm. and I had no idea what I was going to do, but yeah. I knew I, had to, I should do something. Yeah. I couldn't change what had happened, but it felt within my capacity to do something yeah. around what happened next. So I set up the, the, the charity and... Um, you know, I think clarity comes with action. Yeah, right. I had no idea what was before me. And mm. a lot of people who, you know, start yeah. a small business, you have an idea about what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the journey from beginning to where you feel like you're succeeding, it's a, it's a, a lot of it's unknown. You and just got to get started, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that uh, the more you do, the clearer you become. And, mm. and, and so starting the charity, it was, um, it was kind of like just here's a need and I'll figure out uh, what to do mm. as we go and then we grew and and I guess then it got to the point where we talk about sustainability and social social responsibility and so mm. forth was then looking at well what were the lessons that we could take from the establishing the charity and mm. and it really came back to what I do now and talking to to small business and and mm. and uh, other organizations about turning their support for community mm. and uh, uh, corporate social responsibility into a profit center yeah. back to the business. Yeah. Because a lot of people will see, and small business think, well, we're too small, we can't do it. And mm. I go, well, it's a, it's a limiting belief. Yeah, and, right. uh, but I also believe that if you've got corporate social responsibility, and some organizations will say they've got it, but you look at it and what it is, it's philanthropy. It's they carve yeah, off right. a portion of their net profit yes. and they say, we'll donate that. They say what yeah. they'll do is they uh, might match donations or they give staff some time off, but mm. that's not corporate social responsibility. Yeah. That, that, that's just philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. true. Exactly. And when we do it differently, when there's a return that comes back to the business, to the people involved, yeah. They're more likely to be involved and more likely to stay involved and connected. And, yeah. and it's as a charity, uh, the head of a charity, it's in my interest for my supporters to benefit commercially out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a real mindset within Australia where we go, oh, well, we don't want to benefit. We don't do it for that reason. Yeah. But it's a flawed concept yeah. because if it's a cost center to the business, uh, when the economy gets a bit tough, 
it's the first thing you, to go. It's an indiscretion. It's mm. a discretional spend, and Absolutely. it is. It's a first, and that's the second thing that goes learning and development. Mm. But if we can flip it, yeah, so that your your relationship, your CSR, is a profit center. Mm. Yeah, you know, you guys are accountants, and you go, that's what matters. Yeah, you know, to get the attention of the CFO, we need to show this is good for business, not just makes people feel good. It's 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 something yeah. that we've been tackling with a lot. I mean, we we sure. have literally in the recent few months have sat down and had long conversations about well what is a sustainable business when you're a small business? What does yeah. that mean? What is uh, corporate social responsibility at that level? Because as you mm. said, we all see it at the the huge end of town, yeah. you know, they they have to report on a lot of these things in their financial statements and we see that. Yeah. But as you said, you speak to a small business and they're like, "Well, that's that's not us, you know, we so what does that look like in reality to a small business?" Yeah. You know, I was on the phone last night having a, a, a conversation with someone who's who's in startup, yeah. and I said to her, "Look, I've never, you know, my services in from a consulting point of view around mm. CSR are never at startup because you don't have budget, you know." Yeah. And yeah. It was just a, yeah. I ended up having a conversation with her, and and what I said to her is, "We can do things really differently ra rather than her just because she, she came to me. It's a product that she's launching, and mm -hmm. uh, and it's cool." And she said, "I want." Uh, the profits to go here. And I said, yeah, that's that's really nice. But because of the profit margin, it's never going to make a big um, yeah. dent until it's big. But I yeah. said, you know what? Rather than donate money as a, uh, a portion of the sale, what about including a QR code on the item that links into a story where you've got a video from the person nice. that, that's benefiting nice. and then they can invite or we can invite the, the person who's received or bought the product to make a donation of what they feel, yeah. you know, give, deliver value first. Yeah, you know, there's a and build it into the model almost. Build a. It's, it, it doesn't have to be about uh, CSR. Doesn't have to be about giving money. Yes. And, you know, there's a guy out of the US called Dan Platter, and he talks. He says that people are sick of being asked to do the least that they can do. Yeah. yeah. You know, and mm. donating money, sure, it's it's an easy thing, yeah. but it doesn't engage the yeah. heart and soul. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, we need to find a way where there's a real benefit mm. because as a charity, if we're just receiving money, it's a bit like Oliver Twist, you know, we've yeah. got the hand out saying, please, can I have more? Mm. True. But if we can find a, a way where we're returning value, and that's True. that's how Hands, the, the charity I started, has grown and, and continues mm. to grow year on year, yeah. is that we see ourselves as a service provider yep. to our partners. Yeah. And, and First and foremost, we look at how we can deliver value, what's missing, yeah. what have we got to create value back to our partners, yeah. and then they're engaged with us for that reason. Mm. But you know what? We make more money out of them yeah. than we ever would have if we're just seeking True. donations. Yeah, if you just had the handout and we're depending on yeah, them for help. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's an amazing way of looking at it, really. Um, and yeah, I guess it's just thinking in each scenario, it's going to be quite different at the small business level. Yeah. Um, figuring out, well, depends what your purpose is, depends what you want to achieve. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's a builder, you could even be looking at building um, things for people or as an accountant, I guess, donating your time uh, and, yeah, no, and I, trying to deliver better results for hmm. things. I don't know. I, I often think it comes back to other, in my mind anyway, you know, this whole corporate social responsibility comes back to uh, how you deal with your employees and your customers, what you're paying people, what yeah. what they, um, you know, what your carbon footprint is, mm. all, all those kind of things, you know, if a business in my mind is something that benefits not just the owner but the community and it's the kind of that shareholder point of view versus the uh, further stakeholder point of view um, and I look at it as more your effect on the greater community yeah. um, rather than just your bottom line I mean well if it's if it's not viewed as a 
as a, a business growth tool, yeah. well then you're just looking through it through the wrong lens. Yeah, yeah. And it'll never last. I built a program yeah. um, overseas uh, for a hotel within the Starwood Hotel Group, mm. and what we did was they had no budget to commit to a CSR program. Mm. Uh, the hotel was at 40% occupancy, which is pretty low, yeah, yeah. and uh, we built a program that leveraged the expertise of the guests staying yeah, right. at the hotel. Oh. And what it did was it, um, um, it ensured that there was uh, customer retention, um, it brought brand differentiation and opened new markets, yep. new customers, and mm. uh, all awesome. of these measures, you know. And we know that millennials are sitting, uh, graduates and people like you guys, you know, that yep. uh, graduating from uni and you go, where do I want to work? Yeah, and, yep, uh, yep. you know, we know that they're doing a digital interview of the organisation before they apply. Yeah, yeah, so if definitely. you're sitting there as a firm and you're going, well, we want to attract the best talent yeah. mm -hmm. into our organisation, you go, well, if you haven't got your digital um, you, you, digital presence of CSR yeah. um, uh, sorted, yeah. you're not even going to see the best mm. talent because they're not even going to come yeah. and apply. Because yeah. we know millennials want to work at a place where they can make a difference, where it's important to them, yeah. it's aligned to their values. Yeah. No good ho hoping that you can attract them just through you know, having a ping pong table in the office and paying good <laughs> yeah. salary. That yeah. sounds like us, <laughs> <laughs> ping pong table. <laughs> not uh, the salary. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that, um, that really makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I suppose from, from a profit point of view, I mean, if you're attracting the best staff, you're getting more out of them, you're getting more revenue. And therefore, uh, it's a, it's, that is the profit center then. You know, you're aligning your values with an employee who's they're gonna, then going to perform better. Yeah, well, we know the cost of having unproductive staff. Yeah, exactly. We know the cost of having disengaged staff. Yep. We know the cost of replacing staff when they leave. Yeah. So if we can, and, and it speaks to the culture, you know, a CSR program alone is not going to attract and retain yeah. you know, just people who don't want to be there. Yeah. But geez, it goes towards speaking about the culture of the organization. Mm. And as a numbers nerd, I really would love to see a report for a small business on their CSR and how it's financially impacted, how it's socially impacted, environmentally. Um, I wonder if that's something that's within reach. Oh, and I guarantee business. you that every business I work with under, under measures yeah. their true contribution. Yeah. And I'll sit there and I'll say to you, you two guys, I'll say, tell me about what you do for business. And you'll go, oh, well, I give this amount of money. Is that, is that the true give? And you go, yeah, absolutely. And then you go, okay, well, what about the administration of the program, your time? Yeah. You know, you clearly charge yourself out at hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour being accountants. And yeah. uh, we say, you know, well, are you measuring that against when yeah. you're committing yourself to CSR program? And yeah. I've, yeah. I've never sat with an organization and worked through this and gone, you know, you're reporting on this and that's the sum total. Yeah. Yeah. We've always been able to find three, four, five, times Definitely. what they say they give yeah. is the true measure of the yeah. give and yeah. you should be reporting on that yeah absolutely. you know you guys measure everything in business yeah but you know this whole CSR thing becomes a decision of the heart rather than the head mm. Mm. I wonder and if there could ever be any government incentives behind CSR and, and oh well how about just business growth yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah business growth is enough yeah. don't worry about the government incentivizing just business growth yeah I was yeah. just sticking my hand out again there wasn't I I'm just making myself dependent <laughs> <laughs> yes no so true so true um, cool. I just wanted to also mention, um, so can we find more information about this in, in your book, Doing Good by Doing Good as yeah, well? Yeah, that was the second book and that, that really is the blueprint that uh, I wrote around how to turn CSR into a profit center. Yeah, and, cool. um, and it goes then the full line, like a lot of people, uh, when we sit and talk with them, it's about uh, how you create that. But then there's also the opportunity to look at the entire supply chain and look at shared value. Yeah. You know? And as, as an organization, you know, if you're in the 
in the clothing um, industry, for example, uh, we can demonstrate, you should, or you should be able to demonstrate because people want to know where the raw materials are coming yeah. from, where they've been made, what's the conditions of the people that are making the, the product and track that all the way through. So yeah, that, definitely. You know, look at the imprint that you're having um, in what you do. So yeah, yeah doing good by doing good uh, uh, captures everything I know about it. Yeah, um, it's something that I'm really keen to read, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. We'll jump online and buy yourself a copy. Yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> Absolutely. So, where, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, peterbaines.com.au. Okay, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Nice, yeah, that's cool. great. Well, thanks cool. for coming and having My a chat pleasure, with us. My pleasure, guys. Yeah. I really got a lot out of it, and I appreciate yeah. your time. All the best. And, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to find you, go to that website and, uh, yeah, get reading. All right. Thanks, cool. guys. Thanks, thanks for that. Peter. Hello, welcome to the Two Drunk Accountants. We have uh, Ros Harvey with us today, and uh, she is the founder and managing director of AgTech business, The Yield. Great. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you, it's really exciting to be here. Yeah, yeah thanks, we're excited. Uh, we just caught your keynote just before, and we, we, we loved it. We were come out talking about it, and we've got some uh, things to chat to you about, so yeah, yeah. we're excited. Um, I think what really um, resonates with us was uh, when you called us data scientists. Yeah. <laughs> so That's true. Yeah. You know, in bed last night, when my daughter came up with me from Sydney. Oh, She's nice. on, on holiday from uni. And, you know, I said to her, just Google that, will you, and find out how long accountants have been around. Well, and and she went back and she said, Mum, it's millenniums, it's BC. <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. Because I said, oh, geez, that's more than decades. She said, no, Mum, that's millennium. <laughs> and All it's true if you eh? think about it. It yeah. is really seriously true. Yeah. And I suppose the point that I was trying to make is that often people think that data science is really intimidating. Mm. And, yep. and, you know, like all new things, you've got to learn new skills, of course, but really what you know, accountants have been doing for millenniums, as we now know, True. is actually making sense of data and creating yeah. value from it. And that's kind of really what data science is about. Yeah. It's just we have some really powerful tools in how to do that mm. now. Yeah. I think um, um, listening to your TEDx, uh, which you recorded earlier in the year, mm. and, uh, and to your keynote today, um, I guess it just opened my eyes to a bit of a brand new world of data yeah. and the way things are heading uh, with our footprint Mm. with the information that we have online, um, but also the way it can be used for mm. benefit, for yeah. good. Look, it is. It's incredibly powerful what can be done. And that was one of the points I suppose I was trying to call out towards the end is, you know, accountants really need to make sure that they're working with the clients to understand what sort of data they have and to make sure they secure it and keep it. Yeah. You know, because often we find we, we do a lot of data science. And mm. when you get in the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning, you're not using biophysical models of the world. You're relying on the data. Yeah. And so um, I'll give you a really concrete example, in fact. You yeah, know, cool. If you think about one of the things, the examples that we gave is doing yield prediction. So yes. yep. you can say to a client, how much product they're going to have ready at what time. Yeah. Mm. Now, what we're doing is we're taking data from the energy that the plant gets, which is measured by what we measure, which mm. is you know all the environmental conditions, the energy, if you right. like. But we also take the data about the food and the water that the plant uses. Yeah, right. And then we take the harvest management system, which actually comes from the piece rate, the pay yeah. system for piece rate workers. Yeah. Three right. different data owners. Mm. So um, of the, the data sets we're using and combining, yeah. then we're using artificial intelligence to predict. We can only do that because this particular customer has 10 years of data. 
Wow. Yeah. And so they never, ever thought they were collecting data on yeah. you know, the way they're paying their employees Definitely. that would be used to predict their yield, which is, you know, a multi-million dollar problem for this particular <sighs> client. That's and brilliant. so that's what I think, you know, people really need to understand and, and, you know, maybe your hearers who are interested in accounting and is in some ways accountants have this incredibly trusted relationship with yeah. their clients. Mm, yep. And um, helping your clients really understand that data yeah, is super important. And you don't even know what you're going to use it for now. Yeah. And you don't know the value of it. Yeah. yeah. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. You, you, you gave a few examples of something that accountants should be doing, which I, I wrote it down so I'd remember. It was find out yeah. about the consumer data rights bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep, do yep. a data audit with your clients and uh, make sure they keep that data. Uh, on, a, on a practical level with small business, like what kind of data are we looking at that they've got? You know, uh, you know let's say an accounting firm, mm. um, where should we be looking <laughs> to figure out what well, data we got? first of all, look at every software subscription you have. Okay, yeah. all right. And yep. that's the first place to start. Just write yeah. them down. Just, just write them down. In an Excel spreadsheet, be, maybe? You, you, <laughs> in an Excel spreadsheet, you will be shocked, particularly the cloud-based ones, yeah. because the cloud-based ones mean you know that someone potentially could be using that data for true, something else. True, yeah. But I would, the first starting point is every piece of software that you're interacting with, mm -hmm. um, that is a way that data is potentially being stored. Um, and then... Uh, you know, look at your own business systems mm. as well, yeah. uh, and you know what you're actually collecting. So it might be obviously zero keeps its data, yep. but um, you know you'll find often companies will have you know um, systems for they, how they manage content that they push out to their customers. Yeah, or yeah right, sure. It might be asset management data, yeah. or you yep. know, there's a whole range of different things. Sure. That, or mm. it might be the inventory control system mm. for a sh for a shop or something yeah. like that. Mm. So there's all these different ways that people actually have data that they don't even know that they yeah. realize yeah. that they're creating. And so they just reach out to those providers as well and say, hey, I want my data. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that work? Well, I think the really important thing is to read the T's and C's. Yeah, <laughs> which none of us do. Which most no, people just click the little button. Everyone just goes, <laughs> yeah, I've read it. <laughs> and actually, I think that what's going to happen with time is people are going to learn to be a lot more educated about data. Yeah, yeah sure. And I think the CDR, the, the consumer... Um, um, data rights bill will actually really help mm. with this. Yeah, so it's all about open banking and that kind yeah, of information. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what it means is by February 2020, that a individual or a business will mm. be able to say to the big four, I want to take my data, mm. not only my credit and debit yep. and transactional data, but also the data I gave you to assess my overdraft yeah, or my loan. Yeah. You know, all of those, then when you fill in those Powerful. mortgage things. Yeah, painful, yeah. Oh, they painful. know more about us than we know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They have to let you take that data take and give it to another authorized. Wow. So they have to be authorized. Yeah. Um, to actually hand over the data. Now, the, the theory of this is that what that will mean is that all these new, um, it'll create much more competition and innovation mm. because there's less barriers to move. Yeah. Yeah. And if these other companies can access that data, then yeah. they can customize products and services, financial mm. service, insurance products yeah. to, to, to the consumer. Do you, and I mean, that's a really good thing. Do you, do you see yeah. that expanding further than just your banking information? And oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's already foreshadowed in the yeah. bill that it will move to electricity providers, telephone yeah. services, providers, internet wow. service providers, and I think you can easily see this, you know, going more broadly. I think what's happening is that, you know, the kind of like the first wave of these digital economies, you have these huge digital monopolies mm. like, you know, Facebook and oh, yeah. Twitter yeah. and Google and Amazon. And, yeah. Whose business and is that data to sell, yeah. Correct. You know, yeah. where really effectively you're the product. Yeah. So they give you a free service or product or very discounted and yeah. you're the product because they're harvesting the data about you and yeah. then they're on selling it for advertising yeah. or whatever. 
And I think that increasingly, you know, in the Cambridge Analytica thing really yeah. accelerated this is that people have become very concerned about how that data has been used. Mm. And rightly, regulators are concerned from a competition perspective yeah. is that it really is stopping a lot. It's creating monopolies. Yeah. And no monopoly is a good thing. No, and no. so I think the pressure is going to be on to create data markets. I think mm. customers are going to want it. I think regulators are going to want it. Yeah. And the question is how will that, you know, how yeah. will that actually happen? It's, it's still really early days in data markets, but you can see where it's going. Mm. I, yeah, I just think um, it's the first notion of data markets um, that I've ever known. And I guess it's just going to be interesting to see as this idea proliferates throughout mm. um, the world um, to see how people respond to that, mm. whether they cancel their Facebook accounts or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or change the way they shop. Mm. Um, it's just going to be a very interesting uh, future in that space. Well, it's, it's, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an education process. Mm. I mean, we always say in, in our business, the way we do with data is that our customers should have transparency yeah. They should have control yeah. and they should have incentive to share data. Yeah. And these are the three principles of, of, of a really effective data market. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, to be honest, I think it's still an, an emerging area yeah. and um, the technology hasn't quite caught up where it needs to be to really genuinely create data markets. Yeah. And that we also don't, we don't have the business models because we don't know, you know, if I was going to pay a micro payment for a piece of data to use in a model. Yeah. We kind of just don't understand the yeah. value creation of how you price that even. Exactly. And so I think we're still some way away from it, but I think it will get there. But the most important thing, even putting aside data markets, is your data has value. Yes. I can yeah, tell yes. a story actually um, about Bosch as an investor in our yeah, business. Yeah, you know, okay, yeah. Appliance yeah, yeah, dishwasher, yeah, yeah. Drills, dishwashers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. make a huge, huge, yeah. huge um, global business. Yeah. yeah. And uh, every in their across their whole business, they've made a decision that every single thing that they make will be connected to the internet. Yeah. Wow. And that they will store the data. They don't know what it will be used for. They have uh, no idea. Wow. Um, sometimes okay, they have some ideas. Some they're already leveraging it. But yeah. they're really saying every single thing we will connect and we will store the data because we know that in the future this will create value, even if we don't know Crazy. now how we're going to use it. Well, I guess it's like you're saying. Um, you had uh, agricultural business which had ten years of data, mm. which was a goldmine essentially yes. for you guys to come in. Uh, which is a great segue actually to speak more about the yield too, yeah. because <laughs> which is your baby at yeah. the moment. Um, so I love the idea behind it in terms of cutting waste and um, the, I guess the sustainability idea of, of, of helping climate change and, and producing food for our growing population by mm. 2050. We need. Yeah. Was it 50 or 60 percent more food? 60 percent more food. More food. More food. Which is just crazy. Scaring. It's scary. Mm. I, I think about it every now and then, and then I, it scares me, and I stop thinking about it because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how is that? How are we going to solve that problem? Yeah. This gives me a lot of hope that uh, we're on the right path. Yeah, yeah. I'm a techno optimist. I, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I hope that technology will help us, you mm. know, address these challenges. But certainly in terms of food production, I think absolutely it will. Is yeah, what we're yeah. seeing globally is the sustainable intensification of agriculture. So yeah. for example, growing things in a polytunnel, yeah. you know, putting products, growing plants in pots yeah. in these polytunnels right. using very, you know, precise amount of water and food through these wow. piping systems, you yeah. use seven times less water if wow. you grow it in the field. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can see that this is gonna happen more and more and more. Yeah. And um, I think it's really exciting. Having said that, we've got some pretty big challenges to address. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think that 
you know, we all need to take this a whole lot more seriously than we do. Ooh. Well, it's, it's yeah. not just the producers. So the yield is about trying to help people in agriculture waste less water, waste less land, and also it's taking that guesswork out of it so they don't have to overproduce by 30 40% in terms of the food they're trying to grow yep. uh, as an insurance policy in mm. case there's a big storm that comes or in case mm. it's a bad growing season. Mm. Mm. Um, yes, if you give people accurate real-time information, they can use that to make better decisions. Yes. The thing about growers yep. is the one thing they can't control is the weather. Yeah. It's, it's this driver yes. of uncertainty yep. that ricochets up and down the supply chain. Yep. And so really what, as a business, we're focusing on is measuring the 14 variables that drive all agricultural yeah, okay. models, things mm. like light and energy and rain. And, yep. and then we use artificial intelligence to predict it with a high degree of accuracy yep. and then put it into applications for people to make vast, mm. confident decisions along the supply chain. Amazing. I, I think you said yeah. in your keynote, it was up to 97% uh, accuracy of right. when it's going to be ready for for harvest, yeah. which so is crazy. insane. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. It that example is from um, like leafy greens sort of right. area yeah. Yeah. where you have lots of data to use because yeah. they plant every week. Right. And so you get this, these incredible, what they so call couplets of data of plant and harvest data. So yeah. it's just harvest after harvest after harvest. Yeah, Sorry. they continue to rotate yeah. just continuously because okay. they have to continuously yeah. produce. Mm. But yeah. the same principle applies. You know, we've, we're, we're doing this now extending into berries and into mm. viticulture. We've had very good success and into other crops. Yeah. And so it's actually very exciting because it's a huge problem. So for example, in wine, yeah. in Australia alone, it's a $300 million problem every year of just not being able to predict the right yes. time yep. when yep. the grapes are going to be ready to pick. Because you can imagine you've got this massive footprint of growth Absolutely. and you've got to get it all through this processing window, Absolutely. which is getting shorter and shorter because yep. of climate change. Yep. Yep. And so they have to know what's ready when to get it through in the it's right huge. amount of time. It's huge. And if they don't have good predictions, it's very it's just a massive logistics problem. And every region has different needs for that as well, depending right. on where you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was it's kind of exciting, actually. Oh, it's hugely exciting. I, I love... Um, the thing is about artificial intelligence and machine learning, really what you're doing is using masses amount of data to have computers look for, you know, look yeah. for the patent in it and yeah. to self-learn. Yeah. And something like agriculture and weather, which has all these different interdependent variables mm. that are all on this sea of uncertainty driven by weather, it's the perfect industry for yeah. this sort of technology. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not like a factory, you just pull this lever and that happens. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. it's actually Definitely. really an exciting industry. Well, it's, the Definitely. whole thing's exciting for me because, you know, as you gave the example before about the Facebooks of the world and those kind of people using the data for what people might not be entirely happy about. Um, but this is just the other side of that coin. We can yeah. show you don't need mm. to be as worried about that some of that data that's out there because yeah. it could be used to... For good. For good. For sustainability. To, to, to solve real world big problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what else could true. you... Yeah. <laughs> and it is now. It is, honestly, it's really exciting. It, there, it is true. There is risk in all this data as well. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that as a society, we've just got to have a really honest um, understanding of it. It can mm, yeah. be... It's so incredibly powerful and yeah. can solve problems, you know, wicked problems we've never been able to solve. Yeah. But it also can be used the wrong way the wrong as well, way. As, yeah. we've seen. as we've seen. And so I think that, you know, as a society, we need to understand mm. this really deeply and well and get the right governance around how data is used to make yeah. sure that we make the most of the good side and don't let too much of the bad side in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I also but like I don't want to throw the whole baby out with the bath water no, yeah. just because yeah. some people have used it for not so great things. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking when I was um, researching what you are doing. Um, there is a lot of grey area in there and ethical and moral issues potentially. But um, but I think just pushing it, having that uh, mindset of using it for good 
Yeah, yeah. it's going to yeah. put it in the right Actually, direction. Actually, it comes back to be really, you know, back to the more, you know, I suppose immediate for many of your listeners is this whole issue of the T's and C's of how, yeah. you know, yes. terms and conditions of how data is used. Sure. Um, it's really, really important. So in our business, we say, first of all, not only you own your data by contract, because just ticking a box saying you have privacy, that only protects your individual name. It doesn't right. protect any business data at all. Privacy law right. only protects individual's data. Yeah, okay. And right. so when what we do is we protect it by contract and saying right. you own your own yeah. data. Yeah. But not only that, we say even we won't aggregate it and change it yeah. and use it without you agreeing mm. and giving you some, some sort of upside. And then the final thing we say is we also won't knowingly even aggregate and anonymize mm. data and sell to someone who could use it against you. Yeah. yeah. Imagine okay. if we took data and we sold it to a oh. buyer. Yeah. Oh. yeah. You know, exactly. even if we aggregated it up and changed it so it wasn't the individual data anymore, yeah. it could be used against growers and make mm. them worse off. Absolutely. So I think you kind of have to be really clear on where um, it's whose side used. you're on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely cool. true. I mean, it, during your keynote, you were mentioning you know you you use it obviously for the people who are growers, the growers out there, but also um, giving the information through to universities and to yeah. people that can actually make um, further knowledge and some real understanding of what's going on and, and use that data to, to further yeah. the applications of it, mm. um, and also government make yeah. policies can actually help people by by doing that. And I, it's another thing I found quite interesting with the Zero, um, and now like talking about their business insights and same kind of thing. You know, they're using that data to help people get paid better or, or, or whatever. Yep. It's it's fascinating stuff. It is really really people. interesting thing. Yeah. There's a lot of trust in that. So, yep. but even with giving data to government or researchers, we still require our customers to agree to that agree. they can opt out. Yeah. But most most of it don't. You know, most mm. are really willing to participate because it's cool. better for everyone. Helps them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So a few more questions for you. Yeah. Do you have an epic garden at home? <laughs> oh, that is so funny. I live in an apartment in Surrey Hills in Sydney. <laughs> and I, like a, a I have a garden. terrace. I have a very beautiful terrace and I am about to put um, plants on it in Potland. Nice. We're having this whole conversation because I just renovated it. Okay, and nice. so I didn't want to do the garden until I'd done the inside. So this is yeah. the plan that is happening. Nice. So you're going to use big summer. data about Good. Surrey Hills and the weather. <laughs> yeah. and the Absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, like oh. the thing is about weather, which people don't realize, is that when you look up the weather, even if you put in your postcode, yeah. you're getting a data from a world grid. Yeah. So there's this thing called the global forecasting system right. where all the governments of the world, including Australia, contribute to this huge oh. international model. It's yeah. actually, um, and it creates a global grid of 25 yeah. by 25 kilometres, which is, what, 500 and you're the accountants, 556 <laughs> square kilometres? A big number. And yeah. in Australia, where we're relatively rich, we add weather stations, that's what the Bureau of Meteorology does, yeah. and yeah. they get it down to a 4 by 4 kilometre, but it's still 16 still, square kilometres. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when Think you look that, up the yeah. weather, you get an average. And so yes. what we're doing is wherever we have our sensors, mm. we give you a point prediction it's highly accurate so yeah. in this particular case in some ways it's better in cities so you yeah. imagine every balcony every True. building site concrete pores True. yeah you know, absolutely they're really amazing microclimates <laughs> yeah well, i'm excited to see uh <laughs> potentially social media your tomato <laughs> harvest yeah there's a really cool program called uh, mit in the states where um they create recipes for plants. Oh, right. Oh, okay. And so, that, you know, like you can buy seeds for tomatoes yeah. and use right. a digital recipe. Oh. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. That's great. 
It's it kind is, of getting there. It's not commercially available yet, but that's what's going to happen. It's, right? it's just eye-opening. There's so many things we haven't thought of. I just, yeah. I, I guess you just don't you know what you don't know. Stuff right? really well without, you know. In some ways, that's what really we're doing. We're creating yeah. knowledge infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the data is actually to irrelevant. It's how you actually put it together, create knowledge infrastructure mm, that yeah. can help people do things better. In our case, grow things. Yeah, yeah. growing wisdom, yeah. right? That's oh, it. you <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that in. Yeah. All right, well, we better let you get back. All right, uh, back to the well, conference. Guys. Go out and enjoy. And yeah. thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. Nice to see you all. Great having yeah. you on. Thanks. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.